Let's all bow before Almighty Yahweh. Father, we come before you. We thank you for the blessings of this day. We pray that what we do during this day and really just every day, that we would be walking according to your son's examples, that we would be living according to your word, that we would be striving to obey you in all ways, including coming out to worship you and gathering. And we thank you for all that you do. And we thank you for those here and for those online. And we just pray your blessings would be upon your people today. And we thank you and we give you all praise in Yahshua's beloved name. Hallelujah. Amen. Y'all may be seated. It is a blessing to be here. It's a blessing to see you all here. I'd like to extend uh, greetings to those online. Where today, as you can see on the slide, I want to talk about the biblical work ethic. As believers, it's important that we uh, not only obey the commandments, but also live ethically. ethically. And part of living ethically, in my mind, is having a good work ethic. I think many of us would agree that the uh, work ethic that we see in the world today is, is lacking. It has been for many, many years. I've seen a difference in my lifetime with work ethic with the young people. And I wasn't going to share, by the way, all these stats, and I decided not to. But, but um, certainly we're seeing a decline in work, especially with the younger generation. People simply don't have the same drive and initiative as they once did in this nation. Now, why is this important? Why is it important to understand the work ethic? Well, there's many, many reasons why this is important. As we're going to see from the word Yahweh wants his people to have a strong work ethic, a good work ethic. We also know that a good work ethic will benefit us in this life. It's amazing how many people they struggle. And when you look at the root cause, a lot of it is because of laziness. You know, there are so many negatives being a sluggard, as Scripture says. That's how the Bible says it, sluggard, lazy person. Where number one, Yahweh says, don't do it. Yahweh says, don't be a sluggard. Yahweh says, don't be lazy. We're going to see in the Word that Yahweh wants us to work hard, that he wants us to have a really strong work ethic. Number two, if we're lazy, we're not going to have the same success and prosperity that we would have otherwise. We're just not. And it just works that way. If we're lazy, if we're a sluggard, we're going to struggle. We're going to suffer in life. Number three, we're, going, we're not going to have the same level of um, fulfillment. You know, some people, they just don't realize that there's fulfillment in hard work. There's fulfillment in a good work ethic. And again, they just don't have that because they don't have a good work ethic. I actually want to begin today with an article that I found from Harvard Business Review. Uh, now, even though this uh, sounds very business-like, and it is, I believe that the principles are biblical. So we're going to start with uh, these. It's four, four um, qualities that they um, say that every person should have if they have a strong work ethic. So first one here is on reliability and dependability. This is so important for me. And anybody who knows me personally knows that these two qualities are near and dear to my heart. So uh, it says you need to meet deadlines on time, act appropriately in virtual and in-person meetings, and navigate different communication styles. You need to regularly deliver on these behaviors. I was actually thinking, you know, maybe I shouldn't read that definition because it is very businesslike. For me, reliability and dependability simply means that when we say that we're going to do something, when we commit to something, that we follow through with it. That's what it is. If we 
are reliable, we're going to follow through with what we say we're going to do. As a minister here and as a manager with the state, I manage 18 developers at the state. You know, this is an attribute I really value. I really value dependability. I really value reliability. If you come to me and say you're going to do something, my expectation is, is you're going to do it. That's what it is. That's what reliability means. That's what dependability means. It means that if you are asked to do something, that you follow through and do it. And this is a very biblical concept. Reliability is when I can give somebody a task and I know, I know that it's going to be done. And here's why it's so important because when, we, when we're not reliable, it, it makes it hard on the person asking for help. In fact, I tell people all the time, I say, look, if you can't do this, and I understand, but just don't commit to it. Don't tell me you can do something and then don't do it. If you can't commit to it, I'd rather say, look, I just can't do this. I just can't commit to this. I just can't do it. I, I'm not reliable in this way. With and Maybe there's reasons why. But it's much better to say, no, I can't do it, than to say, I will do it and not do it. That's not a person of reliability. And that's part of, I believe, a strong work ethic. Now, the next one here, which I believe is just as important as productivity. Productivity, of course, it defines us as a need to consistently navigate your priorities and find smart ways to use your time, complete important tasks, and deliver high-quality results. I tell you, if I would, would write a book at the state, that's what it would say about productivity. For me, productivity means that we are using our time wisely, right, and we are producing results. That's what productivity means. It, is me, it means that we are using our time wisely and that we are producing results. You know, as a person, I am very results-driven. For those who know me, you probably know that. When I set out to do something, I want to finish what I'm doing. And, and that's something I hold myself accountable to. If I commit to something, I'm going to follow through, and I'm going to hopefully be productive and I'm going to hopefully finish that task, manage my time, and produce whatever thing I'm seeking to produce. Along with this being essential in business and life, and again, it's really essential in life. You know, for these young people in the room, and even listening, if you want to succeed in life, learn these qualities. Learn what it is to be reliable. Learn what it is to be dependable. Learn what it means to be productive. If you learn these very simple concepts, you will succeed in this life. But, even more importantly, I believe that these are biblical concepts. And concepts that will serve us even in greater ways with Yahweh's kingdom. As believers, Yahweh wants us to be productive. Being productive is all about hard work. And again, following through with our commitments a quality that we find all throughout Scripture. And we're going to see that in part today. Now, another attribute, if you will, of a strong work ethic, according to Harvard, is uh, ownership and autonomy, two things that are, again, near and dear to my heart. It says you uh, need to exercise initiative. That's a word a lot of people just don't understand today. Initiative and drive is so important. I, some of the folks I manage at work, I try to convey and they just they don't get it 
But it's so important that we understand this concept of initiative that we're going to seek out, that we have drive about what we do. It goes on to say and show that you can take direction from others, learn, and uh, improve. So again, ownership and autonomy. For me, ownership and autonomy are all about our drive and initiative and our ability to deliver upon our promises, which again are very biblical concepts. One of the things I really value, really do, really value, is when I can assign something to a task to somebody, and I know, and I know that they're going to take ownership of that task, and that they're going to complete that task, and that there's no need for me to follow up to make sure to remind that person to finish that task. You know, for managers, I can say again for those, especially the young people in this room, autonomy and um, ownership is essential. It really is. It is so important that we understand these concepts that are going to succeed in life, that we're going to take autonomy, and autonomy means that we, we will take ownership and that we don't need to be micromanaged because, again, we're going to finish that task. We have the reliability, we have the commitment, we have the drive, we have the, the initiative, and we understand what it means, again, to take ownership of that task. As I've shared for many years now, I can't earn salvation for you, and you can't earn salvation for me. When it comes to our walk in Yahweh, we must take ownership. We must take a autonomy. We must take accountability. Because I can't do it for you. We all walk our own walk, and we all will be blessed or, or cursed based on what we do. And again, all of it comes down to, to ownership. Do we own our salvation? Do we own our walk? Are we going to take ownership of what we do in life? Are we, do we understand that this is autonomous, that this is something that, that others can't do for us? Again, these, these are very biblical concepts. Now, the last one I, w- I want to share with you is on a collaboration and, and team support. So um, collaboration team support says you need to have the foresight to look beyond your individual role and establish positive working relationships with others, support the responsibilities of your team, and act as a team player. This is another really important attribute and something that I try to live by. Well, let's talk about the first point here, and that is collaboration. I never even heard of collaboration before starting with the state. What is collaboration? Or collaboration simply refers to communication. It's a really fancy way to say communication. That's all it is. It's how we communicate. You know, since I gave a message on communication during the feast or part of the message anyway, I'm, I'm going to simply say this. How we communicate, how we communicate will determine success or failure. People don't realize the power of words. People don't realize how important it is that we communicate in a right way, in a positive way. And listen, there are so many different ways to say the same thing. Over the years, I've tried to learn what I like to call diplomacy. Learn to say the right thing right, or to say something right, to say something positive. You can even say something negative in a positive way. It's hard to do sometimes. But you can say something. One of the things, just as a side note, I always do when I have to talk to people about performance issues, I'll give them something good. 
I'll throw them a nugget of truth. I'll say, you do this really well. And, and I mean it. They, they do that really well. But then, then I share what they may not do so well. But again, you can say that in a kind of a positive way and still get your point across. And that's um, true here. That's true, that's true within the assembly. And that's true even, even in the uh, certainly public sector work. In fact, I was talking to my, I have a person who reports to me, uh, manages our operational team, and, and uh, he was kind of griping to me that he said, you know, I wish they would just posit, they would, they would communicate in a positive way and not assume the worst. And that's something we often do in communication. We kind of always assume the worst. And um, so I'm going to meet with all my folks this month, and I'm, I'm going to talk about communication. And one of the things I'm going to share is that we should not assume the worst, we should not assume intent. We should assume the best until we know otherwise. But as people, we generally assume the worst. But again, this, you know, communication is so important, whether it's here in the assembly, whether it's at work, uh, whether it's with families. How we communicate will determine success or failure. That, that's really true. Communication is so vitally important. Many, many people, they just kind of ignore the value of communication. So I'm going to speak to the young people just real quick. If you want to succeed in life, if you want to succeed in your career, you learn how to communicate. Because most people don't know how to communicate. And if you can learn how to communicate effectively, you will do well. You will do well. Now, what about team support? Or Again, for me, this is certainly falls within the faith and the body believers. In fact, I think we can say team support. I think we can ask, do we support the body believers? Do we support the assembly? Because supporting the assembly really is all about team, team support. Team support is a lot like collaboration. It, again, often determines our success or failure. If we can't work within a team or within a group of people, and that includes here, we're not going to be as successful. And that's going to be true here in the assembly. We're not going to have the assembly we could have if we can't communicate and can't show team support. And that's certainly true in the world. As believers, Yahweh commands that we support and show unity to one another. And again, that's all about teamwork. So this concept of collaboration, communication, and teamwork, again, working together within a group, is so important when it comes to our faith. But there are so many other lessons we can learn from this. And there's so many ways this can lead to success. But again, we have to learn how to do these things. The truth is a healthy and thriving assembly is really all about strong collaboration and teamwork. It really is. And if we can't learn to communicate within the assembly amongst one another, if we can't show support to one another, or we're not going to succeed. You're not going to succeed, and the assembly's not going to succeed. So that's my management tips to you today. Hopefully you've learned a few things. I do think they translate, though, to the Bible. I think they're very scriptural concepts and something that we should all really strive to emulate. So let's talk about hard work, though. So these are, those are, by the way, again, attributes of, of a good work ethic, and I believe that. All of those, those are good attributes for a work ethic. But let's talk about hard work or the biblical work ethic. And I want to begin with an example in the beginning with Adam. So here's what we see in the beginning, Genesis 2, verse 15, it says, Yahweh Elohim took the man and put him into the garden of Eden to dress it and keep it. So what do we see in this example? 
We see here that Adam placed, Yahweh placed Adam in the garden to what? It says to dress and keep it. Find here that Adam was put in the garden to maintain and work this garden. Yahweh created mankind to work. He created mankind to work and to be productive. We see this from this example. He didn't want mankind to sit on the lazy boy. He wanted mankind to be productive. He wanted mankind to have fulfillment. He wanted mankind to have meaning. He wanted mankind to be busy. He wanted mankind to work hard. And that's the example we find here in the garden. We find here that he placed Adam, and of course Eve later, in the Garden of Eden where they would, it says, work. They would dress and keep it. They would work the land. They would dress the land. They stayed busy. Again, it's all about hard work. Now, I will say, it was probably less work than it was after the sin. We know it really got hard after the sin. And, of course, there's a lesson there, right? When we sin, things become hard. When we sin, things become hard. Adam had an easy easy, uh, way of tending this garden, but when he sinned, things became hard. Just like when we sin, things become hard. When we compromise, things become hard. When we go against Yahweh's word, things become hard. Why? Because we deviate from the truth of Yahweh's word. So that's a lesson here. It's a lesson that we should all really understand that when we deviate, as Adam did, even though there was work and he had to be productive, that work become that became much harder when he sinned and when he went against Scripture. We know that after this, he had thorns and thistles to deal with became much harder to work. But again, the point here is that Yahweh put again Adam in the garden to dress and keep it, showing that Yahweh wants us to be productive. Yahweh wants us to be busy. Yahweh does not want us to sit on this, the uh, lazy boy and do nothing. He wants us to be productive. Now, Micah 4.4, 4, we find that life in the millennium is going to be much the same way. Micah 4.4, 4, but it says uh, there, but they shall sit, Every man under his vine and under his fig tree, and none shall make them afraid, for the mouth of Yahweh of hosts has spoken it. Now, for those who may not know, what is the millennium? The millennium. Well, the word millennium comes from the Latin meaning thousand years. This is a time frame that Yahshua the Messiah will rule the, the earth at his second coming. And by the way, if we're blessed enough, if we're found worthy, we too will be part of this rulership during the millennium. What else do we see here in, in Micah? Or just as we saw in Genesis 2, we find here that in the millennium it says that every man will sit under his own fig tree. Well, for me, this shows that we're going to go back to an agricultural lifestyle. Just as we saw in Genesis, we find that mankind will return to an agricultural lifestyle during this time. I don't believe it was a coincidence that agriculture was the first occupation of man. I don't believe it's a coincidence that we find that in the millennium, agriculture will again be something we find. Now, for me, I I really believe that this is Yahweh's ideal or preferred occupation for mankind. Does that mean, though, that it's a sin to do other work? I've been asked that over the years. Is it a sin to do something else other than than, uh, agriculture, farming? Well, I don't believe it's a sin. In fact, I'm kind of proud of some of our youth here. They're going into the electrical field and 
cybersecurity, which isn't exactly what I do, but it's kind of near and dear to what I do. So some of the young men here, they're uh, doing great things. But no matter what our occupation, the concept, again, is that we're to work hard. We're to be productive. And I don't care what you do, we, we can all work hard and to uh, be productive. Now, from Second Thessalonians uh, 2, and uh, verse, or chapter 3, verse 10, we find these words from the Apostle Paul. Paul says there, For um, even when we were with you, this we commanded you, that if any would not work, listen, if you're not willing to work, neither should you eat. Neither should he eat. For we hear that there are some which walk among you disorderly, working not at all, but are busy buddies. They like to gossip. Now them that are such, we command and exhort by our master Yahshua Messiah with, that with quietness they work and eat their own bread. According to Paul here, if a person is unwilling to work, what does that mean? Paul says that if a person is unwilling to work, they should not eat. They should not eat. Now, the Andy says here that we should work and that we should eat our own bread. We should, be, we should fulfill our own needs. So we see here how the Bible views those who are lazy. We've, we see how the Bible views these, these sluggard, as it might say, and those who refuse to work, those who refuse to be productive, those who refuse to show the show, uh, initiative. I believe that this is a big problem with our culture today. A lot of lazy people out there. A lot of lazy people, a lot of, pe- a lot of people that just are unwilling to work today. In fact, it's hard to find good employees. I can tell you that. It's hard to find good employees. And it doesn't matter if it's Subway or if you're looking for a great developer. It is hard to find good employees. Nobody wants to work. And if they work, they want to work from home. Thankfully, I can kind of allow that in my, with my career, but, but um, people just, they don't want to work today. Well, I recognize that there are some who are unable to work legitimately, and there are some who need help. There are many, again, who uh, just simply choose not to work. For those who can work but choose not to, the Bible says here that they should go without food. That's what the Bible says. This probably sounds a bit harsh, but in many ways, I believe it's compassionate. In many cases, when we help those who could help themselves, we are enabling bad behavior. And we enable a lot of bad behavior within this country. We enable a lot of bad behavior because we support people that could work. I know many people personally who could work, but choose not to. They choose to allow the government to simply pay their bills, to pay their expenses. Again, while this may sound harsh, I believe that there's a great lesson of mercy here because we make people dependent on something other than their own work ethic when we enable them. This is a symptom of uh, being uh, non-productive, what we find here from Paul. Paul says that uh, some were walking and doing things disorderly and, and being busy buddies, 
or busy buddies is people that have too much time on their hands. So they want to go around gossiping and talking about things that don't pertain to them, making a, causing strife and contention. Where Paul tells these people that are unwilling to work, work, so that you don't have time to go around causing gossip. You don't have time to cause contention. You can work, you should work. If you don't work, you don't eat and stop causing the contention that you're causing by being a busybody. That's the message we find here. So we should fill our time with being productive. That's really what Paul's saying here. That if you can work and you choose not to work, you shouldn't eat. And for those who are doing this, they need to stop this and and be productive. So let's move on here. Paul also uh, focuses on laziness. In 1 Timothy 5, verse 8, he says, But if any provide not for his own, especially for those of his own house, he hath denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. We see that being lazy and not providing for our families is a serious offense to the one we worship. It says here, those who refuse to do this, those who refuse to provide for their families, it says, have denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. What is an infidel? An infidel is an unbeliever. So Paul is saying that those who have the ability and the capability to work but choose not to and refuse to provide for their families, that they are worse than an unbeliever, that they have denied the faith. Sadly, I've seen many examples of lazy husbands and fathers within the assembly over the years. And while they all have their reasonings and justifications as to why they are the way they are, why they're in the situation they're in, this does not negate what Yahweh's word says. There is no justification for laziness. There is no justification for being a sluggard if we're a believer in Yahweh. If we can work, we should work. And if we, should, if we don't work, we shouldn't eat. And scripture says that if we're in this boat, that we're worse than an unbeliever and that we have denied the faith. Calling on Yahweh's name and keeping the Sabbath, these things are important. So is hard work. And if we refuse to work as a believer, we're not a believer. If we believe that we're a believer, if we're keeping the Sabbath and if we're doing all the right things, but we're sitting in our lazy boy doing nothing day in, day out, when we have the ability to be productive, we are not a believer. Scripture says that we have denied the faith. You see how serious this is? This is really, really serious. Yahweh really takes this serious, those who uh, refuse to work. Serious sin to be a sluggard, serious sin not to provide for our families. I believe that this is especially important for husbands and fathers as men. We should have a sense of obligation to support our families. You know, years ago, that's that's the way it was. Years ago, if you were a man, you just felt this like overwhelming desire that you had to support your family. You would do anything to support your family. You would get one, two, three, four jobs if you had to because that was your responsibility we don't see that commitment anymore. Not by many, anyway. Some do, many do, but, but many, we don't. We don't see that same initiative. We don't see that same concern. They'll just go and get Uncle Sam and let, let Uncle Sam support them when they are able to support their own families. Again, when we do this, Scripture says that we have denied the faith. I want to share, share with you a few Scriptures talking about working with our hands 
Ephesians 4 verse 20 says, Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands the things which is good, that he may have to give to him the needs. Paul begins here by addressing those who steal. He says, don't do that. He says, don't steal no more. He says, don't do it. Instead, he says that we should labor, that we should work, and that we should work with our hands. We should be productive. goes on to say that when we do this, that we can then give to those in need. So we see here two lessons. Number one, we're to be hardworking. We're to be hardworking. And specifically, it says work with our hands. Number two, we're to help those who are in need. And when we work, we're able to help those in need. But when we don't work, we're just a drag on everybody else because we refuse to be productive ourselves. And when that happens, or when, then we have to depend on others. And there's way too many people dependent upon others in this nation. And it's time that we get back to work as a nation. It really is sad. It really is a problem, this whole uh, uh, finding staff. It's incredible. Nobody wants to work. Nobody wants to work. See a similar message in uh, 1 Thessalonians 4, 11 through 12. It says, And that you study to be quiet, to do your own business. Those are really great words. Be quiet and focus on your own business. And to work with your own hands, as we command you, commanded you, that you may walk honestly toward them that are without, and that you may have lack of nothing. So Paul begins here by saying that we're to, um, we're to study, right? We're to study and that we're to mind our own business. As believers, we uh, know that we're to study and to show ourselves approved. Let me ask you, how often do we study Yahweh's word? How often do we take time out? Hopefully daily, we're praying and doing some sense of study. Many ways, salvation comes down to how well we know the word. There's no excuse. There really isn't. There's no excuse. If Yahweh says, hey, why weren't you doing this? We have his book. All we have to do is read it. And if we're not reading it, if we don't understand it, if we're not applying it, if we're not living it, well, that's our problem. We should pray for wisdom. We should pray that Yahweh gives us an understanding. But we also need to do our part. I'm a big, big believer in that, by the way. There are some people who they'll just, they'll pray to Yahweh for everything. Yahweh's just going to work everything out. Yahweh's going to do everything for them. And listen, Yahweh doesn't do everything for us. Yahweh wants us to show initiative. Yahweh wants us to have drive. Yahweh wants us to work. And we're not, when we're not doing our part, he's not going to do our, his part. It's important that we have this sense of obligation to uh, do our part. And part of that is study. By the way, that's why I've uh, started this, uh, these uh, teen and men's discipleship meetings. I want the teen and the men of this assembly, hopefully, to know the word. To really know the word. Even the small things. Now Paul also here talks about minding our own business. As believers, we should not be busy buddies. We should not be gossipers. We should not feel the need to scrutinize everybody else's life. I know some people like that. They just scrutinize everybody else's life. That is not our job. If there is someone committing a serious offense, I think it's appropriate to step in. But we find, I think it's in James, where it says, if it's not a sin leading to death, pray for them. 
We don't need to be everybody's sin police. Pray for them. Again, if it's egregious, you deal with it and you help them. But some people, they just feel it's their place to scrutinize everybody else. Scripture says, mind our own business. Don't take it upon ourselves to think that we need to work everybody else's life for them. Scripture says, work out your own salvation in fear and trembling. Again, we're to be autonomous, we're to be accountable, we're to be reliable, we're to be dependable when it comes to our own salvation. Again, if it's egregious, it's different. But if it's not egregious, pray for them, help them, work with them. But don't, don't feel like it's your place to scrutinize everything about everybody else's life. Mind your own business, Scripture says. Paul goes on here to say that we should work with our hands so that we lack in nothing. And that's the key. When we work with our hands, when we're productive, when we work, we don't lack in things. Why? Because we work. We're productive. And I know that sounds real simple. And I think 50 years ago, people would be saying, yeah, I understand that. But today, by what I see, many people don't understand that very simple concept, that when we don't work, we don't have stuff. To have stuff, to have the necessities, to have what we need in life, we must work. We must be productive. And again, that's part of a good work ethic, realizing that it is our responsibility to do that work so that we don't lack and that we don't have to be dependent upon others. There's a... There's a no, no excuse, really, for a believer unwilling to work. The Bible is a big proponent of hard work. I want to pause now and, and answer a question I've been asked many times over the years, and it's based on what Paul says here about working with our hands. Or based on what Paul says, some have asked me, or what about jobs that do not require manual labor? What about jobs that do not require working with your hands? I mean, I'm part of that. Does that qualify? Is it okay to have jobs that don't require us digging ditches or, or uh, stretching electrical cable or some are typing out there. I, yeah, I don't know if that quite qualifies working with our hands. But um, I think as long as we're working Yahweh, the, the point is Yahweh wants us to be productive. We don't have to necessarily be digging ditches. I believe that an honest day's work is, is, is uh, what Yahweh is looking for, whether that's, in my case, managing a set of developers, whether that's uh, being a physical therapist, whether that's working at McDonald's. It's all honest labor. And as believers, as long as we're working and as long as we're being productive and as long as we are providing for our needs and as long as we're certainly, even more importantly, helping our families, we are in compliance, if you will, to what Yahweh is saying, and that is that we're to work. We're to work hard. We're to have a good work ethic. It doesn't matter, again, if it's cybersecurity. It doesn't matter if it's project management. It doesn't matter if you're digging ditches. It doesn't matter if you're running electrical wire. It's all honest work. But the key is, is that as believers and as people, we're to work hard. We're to have a great work ethic, a strong work ethic, and that we are to provide for our own needs. There's, there are some examples to support this. Uh, the, the two examples that came to mind was Joseph and Daniel. I don't think Joseph and Daniel were digging too many ditches. I think Joseph and, and uh, Daniel, they were, they were running states. They were running nations. Uh, so I, I doubt if they were working too much with their hands, but I can tell you this. I'm sure what they were doing was exhausting because I know just in my position there are days where I would like to dig a ditch instead of dealing with all the complaints and dealing with the uh, mental stuff that I deal with day in, day out. I like to dig a ditch. Well, let's move on and talk about laziness. 
and how laziness leads to poverty. I want to share with you three, three scriptures. Proverbs. Proverbs has a lot to say, by the way, about laziness and working hard. Proverbs 6, 10 through 11 says, A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding in the hands to rest. And poverty will come to you like a thief and scarcity like an armed man. In other words, if we're not being productive or if we're laying in bed, if we're not getting out of our homes, if we're not showing drive, if we're not showing initiative, if we're not trying to be productive, this is what happens. In the end, it's, a thie- it's like a thief and scarcity will come. Because again, we're not working, we're not being productive, we're not earning, we're not providing. See this same verse here, but part of a, a broader scope. Proverbs 24, 30 through 34 says, I went past the field of a sluggard. So this evidently was a pretty lazy farmer. Went past the field of a sluggard. Past the vineyard of someone who had, has no sense. Thorns had come up everywhere. The ground was covered with weeds. And the stone wall was in ruins. I mean, everything was just falling apart. So as I applied my heart to uh, what I observed and learned a lesson from what I saw, says, a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come on you like a thief in scarcity, like an armed man. Same message that we saw earlier. I'm sure it wasn't too hard to kind of form an opinion after seeing this field in ruin and desolation. One more verse here. Proverbs 10, verse 4 says, Lazy hands make for, for poverty. Lazy hands make for poverty, but diligent hands bring wealth. You know, the lesson we find with these verses is pretty obvious, or, and that, that is uh, laziness leads to ruin and poverty. Nothing I say today, by the way, is complicated. But it is amazing how many people, they don't understand this lesson. There is no reason in the world that anybody in this nation should live in poverty. And I mean that. There is no reason in the world anybody here in this nation should be in poverty. When we're willing to work hard and apply ourselves and to show initiative, there's no reason why we can't succeed in this life, in this nation. And I know things aren't like it was years ago, and that's true. But there's still so much opportunity. Now, that may change, and it may change quickly. But right now, as it stands, there's no reason in the world we can't succeed if we're willing to work, if we show initiative, if we show drive, and again, we have this strong work ethic. There's no reason. Proverbs 10, verse 4, again, says, The diligent hands bring wealth. Now, I don't necessarily believe that Solomon here is conveying wealth and, and, and getting rich. What he's saying is that we're going to have the wealth to sustain and provide for our needs. If we work hard, we're going to have the wealth, and we're going to have the ability to provide for our needs to be self-sufficient. Now, this is not true for those who are lazy, Again, I'm sure that we all know examples of people who are lazy. People, you know, they um, just refuse to work. I know people like this. If I had to guess, they are probably dependent upon the government. And the sad part is, many of these people are not happy. Have you ever noticed that? People aren't, who, who don't work, they're unhappy people. They're miserable. And they're miserable because they're not productive. If we're not productive, we're not happy. You see, Yahweh made us so that when we work that we have a fulfillment, that we're happy, that we're content. But when we don't work, yeah, we may, I guess, be okay with that, but we're miserable. 
And we have no fulfillment, no like drive, nothing to really live for. So it's so important that we have something to live for, and that is to work hard, to be productive, and to provide for those in need. I want to transition now to talk about those who make money their life pursuit. And I'm sure we all know examples. I've seen this cartoon here many times, kind of really hits home. Proverbs 23, verse 4 says, Do not wear yourself out to get rich. Do not trust your own cleverness. Cast but a glance at riches, and they are gone. For they will surely sprout wings and fly off to the sky like an eagle. What do, what do we find here? Well, the message here is simply this. If we make money our main pursuit within this life, and there are many, many people who do this, that that pursuit will end in disappointment. That pursuit will end in disappointment. As we see in the cartoon here, at the end of the day, we may achieve all our wealth. He's holding his, his uh, arm full of wealth, but he's done. He's reached the end of the road, the end of his life. So he spent his entire life in pursuit of riches, in pursuit of wealth, in pursuit of abundance, probably negating and sacrificing valuable time with his family. For what? To allow that money to grow wings and fly away, as scripture says. We can't enjoy it. You know, here's, here's one thing that we need to understand about money. If our main focus in this life is amassing great amounts of wealth. Listen, we will never be satisfied with what we gain. Ecclesiastes 5.10 says this. It says, He that loves silver shall never be satisfied with silver, nor he that loves abundance with increase. This also is vanity. You see, if our pursuit in life is to gain wealth, to gain riches, like this man in their cartoon... Not only will it end in failure and disappointment, but we will never have enough. We will never be satisfied with what, because whatever we have, we always want more. If money is our focus, if, if wealth is our focus, whatever we have, at the end of the day, we will always want more. It's just, it's just the way it is, and it's what we find in Scripture, and I've seen that so many times. There's a difference between providing for our needs and pursuing money for the sake of money. We should never pursue money for the sake of money. We should never pursue money to get rich, to be rich. We should work hard so that we can provide for our needs and provide for our family's needs. That's what we should do. So it's important to keep a perspective on why we should work hard. You see, the Bible does not convey and communicate a strong work ethic so that we can be rich. The Bible communicates a strong work ethic so that we can provide for our needs and, again, to be self-sufficient and to provide for our, the needs of our families. A person, and I, I know we all know this, a person is not defined by what they have. We've all heard that. A person is not defined by their wealth. A person is not defined by their abundance. A person is defined by their character. A person is defined by their character. What kind of person are they? Are they... Are they first off? Do they do they follow Yahweh? Right, that's the most important thing. Do they follow Yahweh? Second is, is um, are they a hard worker? Are they reliable? Are they consistent? Are they sincere? Do they help those in need? 
These are all examples of character. And again, a good work ethic is part of a good character. In Ecclesiastes at 9 verse 10, we find another valuable aspect of hard work. It says, Whatsoever your hand finds to do, do it with all thy might. For there is no work nor device nor knowledge nor wisdom in the grave whither thou goest. Solomon says that whatever we do, whatever we do, we should, he says, do it with all our might. What do, you, what do you suppose this means? Or he's simply saying here that when we do something, we should give our very best. We should not go halfway with it. We should give 100% to the work we are doing. Because he says, at the end of the day, there is, there is no opportunity for any, any of this in, in the grave. When we're dead, we're dead. We can't bring our wealth and money with us. And, you know, the other thing is this, and I've seen examples of this, and I've seen several examples of this, and people who were wealthy, not rich, but wealthy, and were had an abundance or had enough, at the end of the day, generally, before we pass, if we're blessed, we're going to have a room, we're going to have a dresser next to it, we may have a picture, and we're going to have family by our side. That's the very best we can all hope for. That's the very best. But we spend our entire life pursuing vanity. Pursuing what someday will be gone. Which will just fly away. So again, this is the difference between pursuing money for riches and pursuing wealth and money to be self-sufficient. There's a difference. And it's the perspective we have as believers. Proverbs 6, we can learn a lot from the ant, as we know. Proverbs 6, 6 3 says, Go to the ant, you sluggard. I kind of like to just say that word, you sluggard. I don't know. Just kind of rolls off the tip of the tongue. It's better to say sluggard than lazy person, right? I mean the same thing, but sluggard. Consider her ways. And be wise, which having no guide, overseer, or ruler, provides her meat or food in the summer and gathers her food in the harvest. We see here the Solomon praises the ant, praises the ant for its incredible work ethic. So what are some of the characteristics we find here? Number one, Solomon says that there's no overseer, there's no ruler, and yet it has enough sense and enough work ethic to go out to find the food, and to make sure that it has food for the winter. And the point is that the, strong, that the ant has a very strong work ethic and understands the concept of preparing, of preparation. That's something we should be doing as believers, especially now, by the way. I gave a message several months ago that I, I do believe that as believers we should be preparing, not for the winter, perhaps, but for the dark days that might be ahead. I believe that we need to have some food. We need to have some water. I think I even ran the numbers of what it would be for a year's supply of food and water, and it's a lot. But I would encourage everyone to do your very best to prepare as the ant here. But there's a lot we can learn from the ant. Speaking about the ant, I have a two-minute video I want to share with you talking about all the wonderful things about ants. Welcome to Freelance Bay. Ants' philosophy 
I think everybody should study ants and their philosophy. Ants never quit. They never give up. If ants are headed somewhere and you try to stop them, they'll look for another way. They'll climb over, they'll climb under, and they'll climb around. No matter how many times you squeeze their little ant hill, they build it again. No matter how many times you swipe them away from your food, they come back. How long will they keep looking at it? Till they find a solution. Ants are always looking ahead. In the summer, they are storing up for winter. That's an amazing forecast. They can't be so ignorant as to think summer will last forever. So in the summer, they will gather and do all they can to prepare and store for winter. They are survivors. Think ahead and prepare. Ants take risks with confidence. Did you know that ants can lift objects 20 times heavier than their body weight? In relation to humans, ants can run as fast as racehorses. Trust yourself. Believe in your qualities and skills. Ants help each other. Ants have two stomachs, one to hold food for themselves and one to share with others. How cool is that? If a worker ant has found a good food source, it leaves a trail of scent so that the other ants in the colony can find it. Share, care, and grow. Last but not least, ants value teamwork. A single ant can only do little, but when they work as a team, they are able to achieve greater heights. Ants don't just leave their fellow ants alone when carrying huge objects. They help each other, making it possible for them to achieve their goals. The ant philosophy can be applied to everyday life. Find your inner ant. Thank Okay, I, I really enjoyed that video. There's a lot we can learn from this incredible insect, this, this, this ant. So I'm going to review some of what it talked about. Number one, what was the first one? It says ne they never give up. You can never distract an ant. If you move it, it comes back, it finds another way, and it will continue to do it until what? Until they've accomplished their goal. So that's uh, lesson number one here of the ant. They never give up. And neither should we as believers. We should never give up. We should be persistent. Again, we should have that initiative. We should have that drive. Kind of like that brother Hercules that came to the feast. I'm not going to share all the story, but basically he just told the people, look, I'm going to go. I don't care what you say. I'm going to go. I know it's impossible, and I'm still going. He got here, and I think he had a great feast. But it's because of his persistence. He never gave up. So, so our brother Hercules is a, good, uh, is a good ant. Good example of an ant. Number two, we see that ants look ahead for the winter. They prepare. They prepare. So should we. Uh, number three, they uh, take risks. Risks are important. Being a believer is a risk, right? Living for Yahweh is a risk. It's going to be more of a risk as time goes on. Number four, ants help each other. This is a big one. In fact, I didn't know this until I saw that video. I'm assuming it's right. I didn't validate that video, by the way, so I'm hoping everything's right there. But ants, supposedly, I guess they have two stomachs, one for themselves and one for their partner. Now, I'm kind of thankful we don't have two stomachs. I, I'm not sure how, quite how that sounds, but it is kind of an interesting um, fact there that they have two stomachs, and they help one another. Of course, they help one another in other ways. If there's a, a large object, they'll help their fellow ants carry that object. And that leads to the last one here, and uh, number six, ants value teamwork. Talks about teamwork. Or ants understand teamwork. We should understand teamwork. When there's something to do as a body of believers, we should come together, we should pull together, we should 
look at ways we can help one another to support the body, and again, that's teamwork. So there's a whole lot we can learn from this amazing insect, much more than just it prepares for the winter, does prepare for the winter, and again, as we know, it doesn't have a, scripture says, a, 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 someone who oversees it, but it still does this, but it never gives up, takes risks, helps each other, and again, values teamwork. So these are some of the amazing lessons we learn from an ant. You know, if we could apply these lessons here, think about how we could benefit at YRM. For example, if um, we uh, do more in, in the way of helping and working as a team, we could even accomplish greater things. We could. I mean, if we really could, if, if we would all ask, how can I contribute in, more, in a more meaningful way? What can I do to help the assembly? I'm sure there's things you can do. And there's probably things I have no clue of that you could do and you could help the assembly. And again, that's all about being an ant, learning the, the uh, lessons from the ant. I'm going to close now with two um, examples of, of great work ethic. First one here is from the Apostle Paul. And uh, here's what it says in Acts 20, 33 through 35. It says, I have coveted no man's silver or gold or apparel. Yes, you yourselves know that these hands have ministered unto my necessities. And to them that were with me, I have showed you all things, how that so laboring you ought to labor, uh, support the weak and to remember the words of their sovereign Yahshua, how he said it is more blessed to give than to receive. What do we learn here about Paul, the Apostle Paul? In addition to his ministry, we find that he worked. It says he worked with his hands. And he provided for his own needs. Now, I believe that Paul, biblically, could have received tithes and offerings and could have lived off the support of the ministry, but he chose not to. This man was incredible. He chose not to. He wanted to work. He wanted to be self-sufficient. He didn't want to be a drag on anybody. He wanted to be the one providing for his own needs. Having a full-time job myself and helping the ministry here, I can relate. But saying that, I am far from an Apostle Paul. Paul, has a, has a, he, he's a long beyond me. But I can relate. I know how hard it is sometimes to have a full-time job and, and to do what I do for the ministry. But Paul... This man accomplished some really phenomenal things. Let me give you some examples here. According to, uh, according to some scholars, Paul helped establish, very very much so, by the way, um, 20 assemblies were, were speculation, but some say as many as 20 different assemblies. So we know that he was in, instrumental in the following assemblies. Ephesus, Philippi, Corinth, Cyprus, Crete, Thyatira, Philadelphia, Smyrna, Laodicea, Pergamum, Syria, Arabia, Sardis, and again, the list is probably longer than that. But those are the ones we know of. Think about that. I mean, this man helped directly or indirectly establish these assemblies. I mean, we just have one assembly here. And, I mean, and, and we have so much better forms of communication. I'm sure it was quite a task for Paul to help establish, and not only just establish, but he wrote epistles and letters and, and encouragement and, and, and admonition sometimes. He, he pastored the, those assemblies from afar. It was a hard, hard job that he did, and he did all of this 
while he was working and providing for his own needs. Paul is an incredible example in so many ways, but, you know, when it comes to hard work, I, I believe that he has a, one of the best examples I see in Scripture because he was so instrumental in the good news. He was so instrumental in starting so many different assemblies, and yet he did this all while working, supporting his own needs. And that's something I think we need to all kind of um, take to heart. Paul was not a lazy man. This guy had a great work ethic. And as believers, something we should emulate. We should all strive to be and have the same work ethic as the Apostle Paul. Now I want to close with the example of the virtuous woman. I, I can't think of a better example of this. I've always wondered if this, though, is based on an actual woman or if this is kind of the ideal characteristics, but for, no matter, it's the virtuous woman. And these are the attributes that we really should have, and we're going to see just how uh, the strong work ethic this uh, this uh, virtuous woman had. And I want to read this actually from Scripture. Is I want to read the entire account here. So you can listen, you can follow along. Uh, it does not matter to me, but I promise I'm not going to insert anything uh, deliberately anyway. So Proverbs uh, 31, and uh, we're going to read verses 10 through 31. It says, Who can find a virtuous woman for her price is far above rubies? The heart of her husband does safely... Trust in her, so that he shall have no need of spoil. She will do him good and not evil all the days of her life. She seeks wool and flax and works willingly with her hands. She is like the merchant ships. She brings her food from afar. She raises also while rises also while it is yet night and gives meat to her household and a portion to her maidens. She considers a field and buys it. Notice that. I mean, this lady is phenomenal. She'd go out and buy a field. Look at it. Yep, this is a great, great uh, adventure, great uh, deal here. We're going to just buy the field and we're going to work it. Considers a field and buys it with the fruit of her hands. She plants a vineyard. So she buys the field and then plants the vineyard. What a woman. She girds her loins with strength and strengthens her arms. She perceives that her merchandise is good. Her candle goes not out by night. She lays her hands to the spindle and her hands hold the distaff. She stretches out her hands to the poor. Yea, she receives forth, reaches forth her hands to the needy. She is not afraid of the snow for her household, for all her household are clothed with scarlet. She makes herself coverings of tapestry. Her clothing is silk and purple. Her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. She makes fine linen and sells it and delivers girdles unto the merchant. Strength and honor are her clothing, and she rejoice in time to come. She opens her mouth in wisdom, with wisdom, and in her tongue is the law of kindness. Notice that, wisdom and kindness, those are... Two crucial, crucial attributes to have. Great together, by the way, wisdom to say the right thing and kindness or to be nice, to be nice. She looks well to the ways of her household and eats not the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her. Many daughters have done virtuously, but you excel them all. Favor 
is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman that fears Yahweh, she shall be praised. Give her the fruit of her hands and let her own works praise her in the gates. So what do we learn about this virtuous woman? What are some of the characteristics we see here? We find here that her price is far above rubies. For any happy, happily married man, <laughs> we know that there's no wealth in the world that could replace our spouses. And that's true. There's no wealth in the world. You could give us billions of dollars, and there's no wealth in the world that could replace her spouses. Her price is far above rubies. We also find here that she is forward-thinking. She's hard-working. Because of this, her family is never in need. They are never in want. An example, it says here that she's not afraid of the snow for her household. She's prepared. And think about that. We just turned the thermostat up. But you had to be prepared back in those days when winter was coming where she's prepared because she's forward-thinking. She's hard-working. We also find here that she brings honor and blessing to her husband. This is a, this is a really important one. Maybe I'm just emphasizing it because I'm the husband here, but, but this is, I believe, an important one. It's important for wives to realize that their character reflects upon their husbands. It really is. Their, their character. And that's also true for the husbands. Husbands don't, we're not let, um, let off on this either because we, we reflect upon the family. But we don't have a, or whatever our character is. But our character reflects upon the family as, as a wife does. You know, this is one reason why we should be the very best spouse we can be. Because we know as a spouse that we reflect not only upon us, but upon our families, upon our spouses, upon even our children. We also find here that the virtuous woman cares about the poor and the needy. Again, verse 20 says she stretches out her hand to the poor. Yes, she reaches forth her hands to the needy. Another great lesson for us as believers. We need to be um, charitable. We need to help those in need. That's part of what it means to be a believer. We see many, many examples. This is not a message on being charitable, but certainly we see that the virtuous woman was charitable. And as believers, we should be charitable. We should be giving. Yeah, I think we would all agree that this uh, virtuous woman is an incredible lady and someone worth emulating. And there's attributes, by the way. It's not just the women. There's a lot of attributes here that us men can benefit from and learn from. So these, this is a great example of what, what it means to have a strong work ethic. So many noteworthy characteristics we find here. You know, as we've seen throughout this message, having a good work ethic is not only nice to have, but I believe is an absolute must if we're going to be a disciple of Yahshua the Messiah. Again, what does the Bible say? The Bible says that if we're a sluggard, the Bible says that if we're lazy, the Bible says that if we refuse to work, the Bible says that we're not a believer. That's what the Bible says. It's important that we understand this. I truly believe that we can keep the Sabbath, we can call on Yahweh's name just right, and we can keep the feast days, and we can keep the dietary food laws, and we can do this, we can do that. And yet if we are lazy and if we're a sluggard, Yahweh's going to say, look, I never knew you. Depart from me. So it's important that we understand that. Well, I pray that we all understand the importance of this message. I hope that it was a good review for you. And I hope that 
maybe it would motivate us to be even better than who we are because we can all improve. We can all do better. And again, a good work ethic is indispensable. It serves us well in this life. Yahweh wants it and it's going to be a blessing in the life to come. May Yahweh bless you.